welcome everyone. I'd like to give a shout out to Saratoga. We had a great time, Debbie and I, fellowshipping with some of you recently and celebrating with you all that God is doing. And also a shout out to Greenbush. I never cease to be amazed at the intensity of prayer that goes on at our Greenbush campus, uh, how much volunteerism there is. I think it's... Uh, probably leading the way in all of our Grace campuses in terms of the level and the percentage of people meaningfully involved in serving and leading in some way. And then a huge shout out to Half Moon as well. Uh, God continues to do incredible things in Half Moon in the lives of students and adults and of course the unbelievable children that are a part of the ministry at Grace Fellowship. I'd also like to say thank you so much to the people of Latham. Now, why am I giving these shout-outs? Because we are one church meeting at four different locations. I know that most of you already know that well, and it's just a reminder to you. But for those of you who may not be aware, God continues to save lives and change lives because of his kindness and his grace as we continue to minister at these four different locations and in the communities surrounding them. And it really all began with the Latham congregation. So a huge thank you to the people who are a part of Latham and especially those of you who, who, in the words of the parable Jesus told, have borne the heat of the day. Many of you have been in the trenches, on the front lines for many years as for the last 26 years, we have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, introduced people to Christ, and then helped them get better acquainted. So these are good days at Grace. We're very excited about what God is doing now. But you know me, my eyes are always on the road ahead, and I'm real, real excited about what God is doing in the future. So thank you to all the amazing congregations. Would you join me right now, please, wherever you're worshiping today, and just give a God a round of applause for his goodness to us. God is faithful. God is faithful to us, and it's good that we pause and just say thank you on a regular basis. So I appreciate you sharing in that time of Thanksgiving with me. I heard about a small Kentucky town that had two little churches and one whiskey distillery. Now, I lived in Kentucky for a number of years, going to school there, working on a couple of advanced degrees. And I want to tell you, there are a lot of towns that fit this description, actually. But in this particular case, the owner of the distillery was an outspoken atheist. And so he and the leaders and the people of the churches didn't get along super well. And some of the members of the churches were disgruntled because they felt the distillery and all that went with it was kind of a bad, you know, image for their little idyllic town. And so there was constant discussion back and forth about what they should do. And so finally, the members of the churches decided, we're just going to hold a joint prayer meeting and ask God to intervene and help us here. And so sure enough, they met on a Saturday evening and had a lengthy time of prayer, all the members of both congregations coming together. And the whole time they prayed, 
a horrific lightning storm raged outside. The lightning just flashing all across the sky. And wouldn't you know it, sure enough, a lightning bolt actually struck the distillery as they were praying, a fire was started, and the distillery completely burned down. Well, the next morning, in both churches, you can imagine, the sermon was on the power of prayer. Insurance adjusters promptly notified the owner of the distillery, saying this was an act of God, and that is an exclusion in the insurance policy. Well, the distillery owner was furious about all this and decided to sue both churches, claiming that they had conspired together with God to destroy the building and his business and wreck his whole life. The churches denied they had anything to do with the cause of the fire, and the judge who presided over the case opened the trial with these unforgettable words. The judge said, I find one thing in this case most perplexing. We have a situation here where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer. And the defendants, all faithful church members, are denying the very same power. <laughs> all right. Well, today, we come to chapter 5 of James, which is all about persevering and praying. As we wrap up this Boot Camp's basic series, and you all have been so kind in your feedback about this series, and just faithful to share what God is doing in your lives as we've just opened his word together, it's really, it's really honestly encouraging. I've gotten messages from people at all of our congregations just sharing how God is using his word in this simple series to, to change lives. But you know, when you think about it, those two words, prayerful and persevering, kind of sum up what's needed in a dynamic Christian life. Because we're in a marathon, We'd all agree. It's not a 100-yard dash. This is a long obedience in the same direction, this life of discipleship. And this marathon can only be run when we are energized by the power that comes through effective praying. But you see, there's precisely where the problem comes in. Every time I have queried or interviewed a group of Christian people, not just at Grace, but all over our nation, in Canada, in Europe, I've asked these same kinds of questions. In the Philippines, Singapore, places all around the world where I've, I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel. In Taiwan, I've asked the same question. People give a similar answer. I really need to grow, they say, in the practice of prayer. Even people who've been Christians for decades will usually acknowledge, you know what, the one thing I wish I could really grow in is how to become a more effective person of prayer. And so I think that today's message is incredibly, incredibly relevant. I've got a hunch that if we saw more 
power, more impact visibly from our prayers, I think most people would pray a bit more. But most of us will admit, along with Jesus' disciples, we really need, really need to be taught how to pray. Well, I'm certainly not an expert in prayer. I'm trying to grow in that. To be honest with you, I have a commitment to spend at least an hour a day in prayer. And that's something I do faithfully. I don't tell you that to impress you. I wish it were more. I wish it were more meaningful than that. But it is very meaningful. And as I linger with God in prayer, and as I lift many of you up by name on a regular basis, and I pray for our leaders, and I pray for our campus pastors, and I pray for our ministry teams, and I pray for our community and our world and all the unbelievable needs, I want to tell you, it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? For those of you who are faithful in prayer, doesn't it at times feel a bit overwhelming? But here's what I've concluded in my own prayer journey. I believe prayer is the most important thing I do. I really believe that. You say, no, nah, it's probably leadership or vision casting or preaching or personal interaction with people. I don't think so. Those are all incredibly important. I don't want to disparage any of them, but I believe the most important thing I do as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is pray. I really believe that. I believe that when I talk with the Father, when I commune through the Holy Spirit with this triune God that we serve, I believe that that is the most important thing I do. I'm no expert, but I believe James was. He had a nickname that's kind of humorous to me, Old Camel's Knees. He got that nickname, the human author of this book we've been studying, he got that nickname because of all the hours he spent on his knees in prayer. He literally developed calluses on his knees. And throughout this book, he's reminded us of the importance of prayer. In chapter 1, verse 5, he said, if you lack wisdom, ask God. In chapter 4, last week, he said, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then today, in chapter 5, he mentions prayer seven different times. Prayer that is powerful and effective. So let's explore that today. And I want you to know right up front, and this is not a frequent way that we end a service, but we're going to end today with a season of wonderful prayer. And there's all kinds of reasons that we will come to pray today. But I want you to know we're going to carve out time for that together. We have leaders who are ready to be prayer partners here at the front to meet you, to pray with you. But again, if you desire just to pray on your own, that is perfectly fine. In your note sheet today, there's a question up at the top. It says, what are some specific reasons for prayer? For, for a few minutes together, before we pray, I want to explore that with you. James 5.13 reads, is any one of you in trouble? <coughs> He should pray. 
So one of the reasons we should pray is simply for help in the midst of trouble. Help in the midst of troubling situations. Now you say, but pastor, doesn't everybody do that? I mean, come on, be honest. Don't most people treat God like a spare tire instead of the pilot, instead of the driver of the vehicle? Don't they treat him like a spare? Doesn't everybody default to prayer when they're in trouble? I don't know what you'd say to that. You may think so, but reality is quite different. As those little black boxes, for instance, are recovered when planes go down, when there's an aviation accident, and they have a recording there of all of the things that were said in the cockpit and so on, do you know what federal aviation directors will tell you? They'll tell you that often the last words you'll hear from people in the cockpit are curses. I don't know about you, but if the plane's going down, I'm going to be praying, dude, okay? I'm going to be asking God to help. I'm going to be either thanking him, praising him, calling on him in prayer. But no, the last words are most frequently curses. You see, we have a way, when we're in trouble now, listen, we have a way of defaulting back to the way we've kind of lived and what we've practiced all of our lives. When we're in deep distress, most of us tend to go back to lifelong habits. So James in this little book has been encouraging us, look, get in the habit of praying. And then, if you're in the habit of praying, if you're calling on God for wisdom, if you're regularly going to God in prayer, even when times are good, It's going to be just your default mode to call on God when you are in trouble. So let me ask you, do you do that? Students, when you walk into the classroom, the teacher says, all right, we're going to have a pop quiz today. I'd say it's time to pray, all right? (laughs) Time to pray. Call on God. I've done that so many times in my life. Come, Lord Jesus. This would be a great time right now and get me out of this mess. Or you go for a checkup with your doctor, your medical doctor, and you get a report back. And something is abnormal about your blood work. Is that going to be the first time you pray all week or all month? Or are you just going to go to God in that moment and go, you know what, Lord, as we commune every day, and I say to you virtually every day, my times are in your hands. Hallelujah. I mean it more than ever now. My times are in your hands. And whatever this means, I ask you to intervene. I want this all to be for your glory. Is that your default response? I believe that many of you are facing incredibly hard situations right now. And so I put, I put, a, I put a statement or a question rather in your note sheet there. Do you see it? What kinds of troubling things might I seek prayer for today? Oh, wow, I bet that list would be long for most of us. I know it would be for me, and I have such a blessed life. But the list of troubling things, things I'm aware of, things that I'm concerned about would be very, very long. Let me mention a few. Some of you have relational pain. A relationship that was precious to you and cherished for a long time has recently ended 
or dramatically changed. And the truth of the matter is, and not a lot of people may even know this, maybe just those closest to you, but you're in a lot of it pain today over that loss. You're honestly in grief. Some of you are in a mild depression over that loss or that change in a relationship, and you need to come and pray. Related to that, some of you are in marriages that are really struggling, really struggling. And you know what I find that's the strangest thing to me? Often when marriages are struggling or in trouble, people kind of go away from their close Christian friends. They withdraw from the small group. They stop attending church. They drop out of worship. They kind of go off the radar. I don't get that. That's the time when you want to draw near. When we're in trouble is the time we not only want to seek God more, but we ought to really get closer to those wonderful men and women, those Christians in our lives who really love the Lord and who are caring. Because there's where we can find so much encouragement and so much help. I could go on and on. Some of you are desperately in need financially. You know what your problem is? There's just too much month left at the end of the money. That's what your problem is. As the old country song said so well. And you're struggling. You honestly don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Some of you, as you look into the future, it just causes anxiety to flush through your body. You literally feel your pulse racing as you think about the future. Because as you look at it, you don't know what that future holds for you and your children. And honestly, there's a lot of fear. I don't need to go on. The needs are overwhelming. There's all kinds of troubling things in our lives. And if we're not careful, and if we don't discover some source outside of ourselves, we will literally implode and break and be crushed under the load of these troubles. Friend, don't let it happen. And even if you've felt that brokenness in yourself, listen, that's the perfect time to reach out to God. And so some of us need to come today and seek God and pray because we're in troubling times. But then I want you to look further here in verse 13. He goes on, he kind of turns a corner and he says, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. So another reason to pray and or praise God is you're in a happy season. Thank God for the happy seasons, amen? I mean, life serves up enough pain and trouble. Thank God when there's happy seasons. Now, for some of you, a happy season is anytime the temperature gets above 50 degrees. And so you've been really happy this week, but you're back in your gloom now because it's getting cooler again. I get you. I understand that. As I pray every day, a significant portion of my time with God is what I call praise and thanksgiving. And oh my goodness, those are the fun ways to pray. Those are some of the most exhilarating moments. As I shared recently, I cannot come out of that time of thanksgiving and praise in a grumpy mood. I can't give gratitude to God and be grumpy at the same time. It's just impossible to do. 
So one of the reasons that we come together like this and worship God is we want to put the focus on him. He's worthy of that. This life is not about us. And there's something about thanksgiving and praise that decentralizes self, if you know what I mean. Let me probe that. Most people live a self-centered life. That's easy to prove. Most people have at least a touch of narcissism. We're pretty self-obsessed creatures. But that's the brilliance of worship. When we come together and thank and praise and focus on God, it gets us out of the center of the picture. And friend, I want to tell you, that is balm for your soul. The great Christians of the past understood that. In my mind this week, I began to go over some of my favorite songs of the past, both hymns and recent, more modern songs. And I notice about so many of these songs that tend to appeal to me, they're songs where God is being praised and thanked in a very poignant way. Now, Thank We All Our God is a song I used to sing constantly growing up. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Jesus, we just want to thank you. I bet I've sang that song hundreds of times. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Great is thy faithfulness is my personal favorite hymn of all time. I can hardly ever sing it without being choked with emotion. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away, you give and take away, but blessed be your name. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Or what a beautiful name it is. The list goes on and on. Now, what's the purpose of singing songs like that? Is it to fill up time till the sermon comes? Is it to try to distract people while latecomers enter the room? Of course not. Those aren't preliminaries. Those are genuine expressions of thanks from the heart as we come together and worship God. So if you're happy, James says, sing songs of praise. You got anything to be about happy about today? Are your children healthy? Are you glad to be alive? Are you thankful that Christ has forgiven your sins and given you eternal life and a home in heaven? Are you thankful for the people in your life who bring joy? John Blanchard wrote, when the world's on top of you, pray. When you're on top of the world, pray. We have a God for all seasons. And that's why I'm going to call you forward in just a few minutes to pray. Some of you, quite frankly, have a whole lot to praise God for and thank him for. And you may want to come and just spend some time, just a minute or two even, two or three minutes thanking God or sharing even with someone else what you're so grateful for. I've been meditating the last two weeks on Job 10, verse 12. I must confess to you, while I've read the Bible through many times, I had never had that verse jump out to me. But Job 10, verse 12 has become one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It simply says this, you gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. Whoa, you gave me life and showed me kindness. Boy, that's my testimony. 
And in his providence, God continues to watch over my spirit, watch over my life. If you can say amen to that, listen, you need to come and thank God. You need to praise him for his goodness in your life. So in your notes is a question, what kinds of happy things might I rejoice in and thank God for today? You know the story from the book of Acts, don't you? Chapter 16. Paul and Silas have been beaten within an inch of their life, put in stocks and chains in the inner dungeon. And you know what happened? Scripture says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That blew their minds. They'd heard curses and guttural groans and cries of despair coming from that inner dungeon, but never songs of praise. Verse 26 reads, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Isn't it amazing? When they gave thanks and praise to God, power was unleashed and people were helped and ministered to. James 5.14 reads, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So a third reason to pray today is you're in a season of sickness or physical or emotional distress. One of the things that not only our elders, but our campus pastors, our staff pastors and leaders, our small group leaders, our ministry leaders at Grace do on a regular basis is anoint someone with oil, usually right here on the forehead, and pray over them for a specific need. You don't have to have a title to do that, I just want you to know. Any genuine follower of Jesus can pray for and actually anoint another person in prayer. Now, there's all kinds of discussion about exactly what that means. There's a sacramental view, and some of you may have grown up in a tradition where this scripture was the scriptural foundation for what's called extreme unction, which was a prayer as a person was in the final moments, and they were prayed to remove the remnants of sin and to strengthen the soul for dying. Some believe this was purely medicinal in nature. Popular Bible teachers have taught that, hey, oil was kind of the medicine of that day. And so just like in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you rub the oil into the wounds like the Good Samaritan did to the guy who was beaten up. And, and that's what this means. So what, what this means in application today is you ought to take your medicine. You ought to take remedies, you ought to have that surgery or do that therapy or whatever. And certainly, oil was used as a medicine in that day. And certainly, when we have been diagnosed by a doctor who knows what she or he is doing and we've been given good medicine, we ought to take it. And in many cases, that is incredibly helpful in one's life. But I think that both of those interpretations miss the whole point here. I believe that oil is a symbol. 
check it out. Study it on your own. Oil in the Bible is usually associated with consecrating or setting apart someone for special service or attention. And so in this regard, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit who indwells and watches over each believer. So when you apply oil to the sick, it's a rich, symbolic act setting them apart to be ministered to in a special way by the Holy Spirit. So the oil becomes a profound vehicle for comfort and encouragement in a person's life. And again, in your note sheet today, there's a section that asks, what kinds of physical or emotional distress might I seek prayer for today? And I believe that some of you need to come today and say, you know what, maybe I, you've never done this before. Maybe it feels a little uncomfortable to you even. And you need to come and say, could someone please, could a leader in the church please anoint me with oil? I just like prayer because of this situation. And share as much as you're comfortable. You don't need to give specific details in every case. Just share as much as you're comfortable. And our leaders, our prayer team members would be delighted to pray for you in that way as you request that. There's all kinds of reasons we need to come to God in prayer. So today I'm going to call you and we're going to ask our campus pastors or other designated leaders at each of our campuses to steward this, this special prayer time that we're entering into. But I want to challenge you, whoever you are, whether you're a regular attender, maybe you're a total guest today, God may have brought you here for a moment like this. Here's what I'm convinced of. God wants to do a whole lot more blessing than we're willing to ask for. Do you hear me today? God wants to do a whole lot more helping and blessing than we are ever willing to ask for. You do not have because you do not ask. In so many cases, that is true. So at this moment, I would like to pass the baton to our campus pastors, other leaders, at our various locations to steward this special time of prayer together.